You're amazing. Hallelujah. How many is ready for the Word of God today? Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, Pastor Rob. Amen. Amen. Let's declare the Word. Amen. Well, thank you. Glad to be here with you. Love Pastor Tim and his leadership in this church. It's just, it's just like nothing else. You know, he just does an amazing job leading us. You can tell his, his heart is for your benefit. His heart is for, for people's freedom and their deliverance and salvation and, and their progress and their increase. And, and uh, I like the word he said, let the Lord be clarified taking the ornaments off the, off the cross because, you know, sometimes <clears throat> we struggle a bit with the fact that we have defined God for ourselves, right? And there's parts of that definition that we don't like. There's parts of the things that we've got this image of who God is, and, and maybe that image has been given to us by, by our own uh, experiences or by what somebody else has said or by some human out there that has said that this is God. I mean, how many times have you heard, well, if there's really a God, how could he let such and such and such and such happen, right? And, and as though that, the, that they're characterizing God and they don't even know who he is, you know? They haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good, huh? And it's amazing that this good God said that he would withhold no good thing from you and I, right? So, so I think in some ways this is kind of like the, when you're when your 11-year-old kid and you're, uh, sees the food that mom's fixed and hasn't even tasted it, hadn't even tried it, automatically hates it automatically despises that food before it's ever even hit the lips. And, you know, and, and until you get them to eat, to try it and taste it, and they begin to, to realize. Sometimes, you know, a good, good remedy for that is hunger. <clears throat> you, know how, you know how good food tastes when you're hungry? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. really does. really does. God's a good God. Yeah. Are you convinced? Yeah. Are you persuaded? Yeah. Will he withhold any good thing from you? Is he holding any back, anything back from you? Have you got everything that he's, that he's got? <laughs> so if he's not withholding and we haven't got it, then there's a gap in there somewhere, right? So there's a gap in there somewhere. So let's just see if we can deal with probably one of those gaps. Because one thing I've realized over the years uh, that is that what I think I know about God is likely to change, uh, you know, maybe even tomorrow it, it might change uh, because, because we see through a glass dimly, Romans tells us, so that we are beginning to try and perceive and understand the things of God and, and, and what God wants to do and how he is and who he is. And this kind of started, I shared a, a, a thought with, with Pastor a few weeks ago that, that we had, and I'm not going to talk about this in depth, but I just want to give you one little piece of what I mean by our perception and understanding of who God is, because uh, it's important that we understand, the God, understand more about God uh, today than we did yesterday and keep growing in that, because that's how we're going to understand how he moves and breathes his character, how he, how he loves us, how he cares about us, what he wants to do in us, what he wants to do through us, because this is a, this is a moving ship. 
It doesn't sit still. It doesn't sit back and build your retirement plan. It doesn't do that. There is no 401k in the kingdom of God, okay? Not for you to sit back and hit a place where you relax. We go from the time we're born to the time we're die. We're, we're discovering this walk with God and walking this thing out, learning how to, how to relate with him, learning how to re, uh, relate him to others. God's wanting to do these things, so he's wanting us to know these things. But there was something, we were, we were uh, in a meeting um, a few weeks ago, and, and we, were, we were just going over the book of Romans, and in the first chapter of Romans, it, it begins to talk about some of the things that, that uh, uh, man began to push God out of their lives, and it, said, and it said that the wrath of God has been revealed. And then one of the versions of the Bible, the, guy, the gentleman read, he said, it, said that the holy anger of God uh, has been revealed. And so I thought, man, how can anger be holy? This isn't going to be what we talk about today, but I just want to show you a little piece. How can anger be holy? And so when you begin to pull back the layers of what God is revealing about himself, you begin to discover something that you maybe have never thought before. And when you get that new thought in, suddenly it changes this perspective of this relationship with God. How many of you guys have ever been concerned about God being angry with you? <laughs> Y'all, some of a bunch of liars in here, I'm telling you. I mean, we were raised by, by parents. We were raised by somebody who was a guardian over us that, that there was times. I asked Ethan this the other day. I said, I said, Ethan, are you afraid of me? And he uh, said, no. I said, but you're afraid if I get upset with you, aren't you? Well, yeah. You know, and so there's a, there's a difference in that. But all, all of us have done something where we thought, uh-oh, we're in trouble, you know, God's upset with us. God's displeased with us. We even get it down to the, to the little places. Now, don't get mad at me, but I know if it's the little things that, you know, maybe I forgot to say thanks before I ate my meal. Oh, my God. God's mad at me. He'll never forgive me. He'll never let me go with this. I'm such a lousy person, you know. And we deal with these disappointments that we think God is disappointed and, and upset with us. And sometimes he is, as any good parent would be. Sometimes he is disappointed. But here's what, what come out of that. How is God's anger holy? The only way that anger could be holy is if it's completely void of self. Think about that for a minute. In other words, God's not angry because you did anything to him. He's not angry because you messed up his plan. He's not angry because you made him look bad. He's not angry for anything that is of any selfish reason. He is only angry on your behalf. When you think about the way we perceive and understand the things of God, the, the windshield wiper just has to keep going because there's things that's got to be cleaned off that we can see clearly because, because just in that, that just changed my whole perspective of how I, can, how I can come to God. And we know these things. We know Hebrews tells us that we don't have a high priest that, that hasn't gone through the same, I'm paraphrasing, been suffered the same temptations and 
trials that, that, that we have, and it says that, that we can come boldly to the throne of grace where we can find help in our time of need. Why? Because he relates with where you're at. He doesn't hold up uh, a, a failure note that says you didn't make it. He says, I understand what you're going through. I know what you're dealing with. I know exactly how to get you through it. You come to me. My grace is powerful and it's sufficient enough to get you through, and I'll show you how to walk through it. That's God. That's the God that we serve. He wants to, he's, not, he's not mad at us or anybody except for on their behalf because they are missing. You know, the Scripture characterizes us before Christ as, as sheep that were being led away to slaughter. If something had somebody that you cared about enough by the nose and was leading them down to complete destruction, you know there would be there would be some disappointment and some some uh, frustration and some some urgency to get in there and to redeem people. Okay, so let's go to Matthew chapter 17. Now you know God's God can get angry. I share a story one time. Uh, I've said it jokingly um, before, but. You know, when, when we think of, of God's being upset and his, uh, he, he, can, he can wipe the slate clean. He can. He could do it today if he wanted to. He can. But he doesn't. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to the salvation knowledge of Christ. So when... The story I, I used to tell is a, a testimony of a time when I was working uh, a night shift and, and I started to work with the youth here at the church and, and um, I was part-time there at that job anyways, and, but I needed to work, but I wanted to be here and all this. And, and I, I went to them and asked them if I could just work third shift or some other shift that night. And uh, they agreed. The supervisors at that time agreed. Long story short, supervisors changed, got somebody else in there who did, didn't work with me at all on that, would not work with me on that. And, um, and so uh, there was one night that he came and he verbally reprimanded me because I, I failed to come check in with him at the end of the night. Anyways, he, I, did, I did everything his way I was told and, and was instructed to. But, but uh, anyways, he sat there and verbally reprimanded me and said, another one, you won't, you won't go full time, blah, blah, blah. And I had no authority in that situation to deal with that, but I stepped back and I just said, Lord, this, this man has authority in my situation. He's, he's messed with the, you know, he's not working with the original agreement of uh, being, letting me off on Wednesday nights, and he's, now he's reprimanding me verbally, and Lord, I just ask you to take, take care of that. I don't know if God is, uh, you know, that God did this or not, but, you know, within a week he was gone. He had a heart attack. And, uh, yeah, that's what I said, too. But I also, to be honest, I also thought, cool. Because <laughs> I prayed a prayer. Now, now the, the part of you that said that the God voice inside you says, now, now. <laughs> now, now. Said, okay, Lord, don't kill him. But, you know, if you can move him out of the way, that's great, you know. But uh, so 
there is a part of God that will deal with, deal with humanity when humanity continues to suppress God's truth. And that's what Romans is talking about there. But we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. Matthew 17, verses 14 through 20. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. He is a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. I love that absoluteness. You know, bring him here. I've got this. You know, you know even with the, the centurion when he, when he had the son that needed to be healed, and, and uh, he said, I'll go, I'll go take care of this. I mean, just that absoluteness of God. Jesus did not waver at God's ability or God's willingness to take care of problems and situations. Didn't waver. I love that. Yeah, I'll bring him here. I got this. Now, he was frustrated with him but, and, and said, And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus private, privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Now, we've talked about this passage in the past, and we talked about how that littleness of faith was, was not about the size of your faith, because that tends to be what in our thinking, in hum, human thinking, we think we got to have more of something to make it better, you know, and it's not more of it, you know, that makes it better. You can have more money and just have more expenses, and you're no better off if you had little money with no debt at all. So more of something isn't, isn't what's going to fix this problem. It's the fact that, that, uh, uh, that their, the faith was not truly convinced. That's why I asked you guys, are you convinced? You know, the faith wasn't truly convinced. And if you look back up here in verse 17, it said when, when they told him that, that they couldn't cast it out, Jesus said, he, he was frustrated, and he said, you unbelieving and perverted generation. Now, what we have here, when that word perverted obviously has a lot of meanings, but in this case, we're talking about a, a corrupted thinking of our faith. It's, it's, as, it's, as, it's as old as the Garden of Eden when something else has come in and another voice has come in and began to corrupt the, what we believe and made it something that it's not. That's what, we're, what he's dealing with. And he said, you perverted generation. It wasn't the littleness of the faith. It was the fact that the faith was corrupted. Now, mind you, the disciples had tried to cast out the demon out of that boy. Anybody ever tried? Huh? Should we be trying? We should, right? We should be trying. Are we, are we well, we already know we're not 100% successful, but are we going to be 100% successful? Let me ask you this. Does it matter? It doesn't matter if we're 100% successful, Right? 
But our goal is to set that person free, right? So, so the, the, they, the disciples had obviously tried to do what God wanted them to do. I mean, I think, I think Jesus obviously would have been very proud because we see it in another passage of Scripture where they come back saying, hey, even the demons are subject to us through your name. And Jesus would obviously have been pretty excited that, that they'd have done it, but here he's frustrated that we're still struggling with this simple belief. More is not more. Simple, God said it, therefore it is, therefore I believe it, and I'll act upon it. That's what we're, we're, we're going for here in this. But the problem is, is from the beginning, we've been injecting our own definitions of who God is, our own understanding of how God acts, and then how he feels and how he thinks. Let's let God be God and let him define himself for a while, okay? So, so it's, the, it's the perversion of our belief that is a problem. Perverted and corrupted faith is unbelief, okay? Perverted and corrupted faith is unbelief. Why couldn't we cast them out? He said, because the littleness of your faith, or another pastor would say, because of your unbelief. But we tried. We tried to believe, but you haven't cleaned the slate. You haven't taken care of all the garbage that has come in because from the beginning of time, we've had this other voices that have been trying to vie for our attention. James 1, 5 and 8 says this, 5 through 8. says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. And it will, it will it will be given to him. Absolute. Convicted. We've been in this a long time. We've read scriptures for a long time. Somewhere in there, there's a voice that's taken away our conviction and our, our, our confidence, our persuasion. That voice is stealing from us. So it will be given to him, but he, he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. As long as there's another voice, there's another option out there, and that's what Pastor mentioned last week, Last week was so good. If you didn't hear that, you need to go back. And the week before that was so good. If you didn't, if you didn't, I could just keep going, you know. But it was been really good. But we like our options, you know. We, you know, I, I'm kind of one of these guys that I never like to sit there and say that I'm absolutely right in a sense of saying that somebody else is wrong, because I always, I've, I've eaten enough crow over time that I've tried to learn that that. There is maybe an ounce in there that I might, there might be an element in there that I might be missing. That may be okay with day-to-day -day life and relationship with people, but when it comes to this word, we have to be 100% convinced, absolutely be 100 sold out to it, that God says it somewhere in our understanding of who God is, that we can just sit back and say, I trust him. I trust him. I trust him. If, you, if we struggle with trusting him, we don't know his goodness yet. We, don't, we haven't believed the word that I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. 
thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. We haven't believed those words that God would withhold no good thing from you. We haven't believed those. We haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You know, the parable of the four soils, the thorny ground, was really just a ground that was willing to accept another seed. Bill Johnson said that. Thorny ground was just a ground that was willing to accept another seed. It was willing to accept another voice. Let's go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. I'm eclectic on my scriptures this morning here, so I've got paper and digital and all that. This is where it all started, folks. This is where it all began for you and I. This other voice that comes in and begins to speak speak to us. Genesis chapter 2, read verse 16, says, The Lord God command the man, saying, From the tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good... And evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Okay? He said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, we, you guys know the story, but I want you to pay attention to the words. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Crafty. Sneaky. Pays attention. Watches waits for that opportunity in Eve, in you and I, to inject a thought, to see a weakness, to see a moment in which our, our understanding of God has been altered the least little bit. And somewhere in there, I think he saw, he saw Eve starting to think something that God didn't impose. Because you'll see what he, when he asks Eve about not eating at the garden, or, at, or you shall not eat from any tree of the garden, the woman said to to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you should not eat it or touch it. We're starting a new rule. We're starting a rule God didn't make. Have you ever said that to kids? Your kids, just do what I ask. <laughs> don't embellish it. Don't do any more. Just do what I ask. And of course they, no, I won't lie, never mind. Uh, so, so immediately she said, or touch it or you will die. And of course we know the enemy, that, that the devil manipulated those words and he twisted those back on her and he, and he deceived her. And, and we know that, that he deceived her because we understand that that was the fall of man. But what was interesting to me is a couple of statements going on down in this, in this chapter uh, where one where... Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. Isn't it amazing that when we don't understand God, we don't know God, that even at the point of our failure, what it does is it makes us afraid to come into his presence and to know him and to allow him to fix and, and to correct the things. So right there was that being afraid of God, that God's this mean person, that he's going to mistreat you. I was afraid, and I hid myself. If you're afraid today, I'm going to tell you right now, you can come into the arms of a loving God. You can, you can stop being afraid today. Maybe it's all you can do to get in this house today because you feel like the last thing, thing going in your life was that God cared an ounce about you, but I'm going to tell you he does. And I'm going to tell you that you can come, you can come freely and to the throne of grace. You can find mercy and help in your time of need. And if you lack wisdom, he said he'd give you wisdom, and he would not... He would not 
belittle you for it. He wouldn't make fun of you for it. You can come to God. Okay. But the other thing that stood out to me is what, 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 uh, when God was asking Eve what she had done, she said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. She understood at the point of her suddenly getting a revelation of knowledge of good and evil, she, she understood instantly that she had stepped into deception. She had stepped into uh, the trap, and she knew she was deceived. And I would imagine that if she had the opportunity at that point, that she would have undone it for all of humanity, but knowledge had been given, and knowledge uh, of good and evil had been released. So that's where it starts. Let's go to Numbers chapter 20. All of us deal with it. We deal with that other voice. We deal with those other opportunities to, to hear something else. Numbers chapter 20, verse, starting verse 8, God is telling Moses, they're leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Uh, they've already, Moses had already supplied water once by, by the staff striking a rock and water came out. And so he had that experience already. And then Numbers chapter 20, verse 8, uh, God's, they're thirsty again. They're grumpy and complaining. I don't know that I can blame them. Okay? But there is an attitude that comes with complaining instead of a concern. You know, do you ever get that? I have a concern. Eh, we'll see if it's a concern or if it's a complaint, but you keep talking and we'll find out. So fine line there so numbers 20 verse 8 says take the rod god's telling moses what to do and your brother aaron assemble the congregation speak to the rock speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield its water you you shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink so moses took the rod from before the lord just as he had commanded him and moses and aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Sense a little attitude there? Okay. It's almost a little bit of a Jonah moment. You know, it really is. Because God's already said, Go get, go get, go get him water. Who are you to lay your opinion to it? Just go give him water. But God. They have blasphemed your name. They, they've already shown that all they want to do is go back to Egypt. You know, God, just leave your commentary out of it and go do what I'm telling you to do. That's what he's saying. Because what happens in that commentary? That commentary was the same voice that Eve heard when he said not to eat or touch. Commentary coming along. Now we got an opinion. Are you free to have an opinion? Absolutely, you're free to have an opinion. <laughs> you have one anyways, whether you, you, somebody allows you to or not. But your opinion is not absolute. Your opinion does not make law or does not guarantee, does not you know, make truth. It doesn't. I think somebody used to say opinions are like armpits. Everybody has them, and they usually stink. So, so Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice. He struck it. He didn't speak to it. 
with his rod, and the water came forth abundantly, which is amazing to me too, that, that he didn't do it the way God said, but God said, all right, you know, I care about these people enough, I'm going to take care of them. Uh, and the congregation, their beasts drank, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you have not believed me, you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Unbelief will keep you from the promises of God. Perverted belief, a double-minded man, not settled, not convinced, will keep you from experiencing the promises of God. We have to become convinced in some way, shape, or form. But here's a problem. In Daniel, the Bible tells us that in the last days, that knowledge will increase. Notice what came into play with Eve was that she ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what we've had is we've had this increasing knowledge in the earth. And I, don't, I haven't looked up any statistics, but it's amazing in how much information is, is, has increased over, over the last, uh, you know, even 15, 20 years probably. The, the, the multitude of information and, and ideas and thoughts and philosophies and, 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 and interpretations of what, what things are, they've just come out. I mean, used to, if you had a strong concordance, you were doing great. Now, if you want any number of commentaries, you can get any number of them that you want because knowledge has increased. Now, some of that's good, but the problem is, is that we are still trying to determine what is God's voice and word in the midst of this and not what is man's. And so we can separate the two so that we can, so that we can do what Corinthians tells us to do, which bring every thought captive making obedience to Christ. It's interesting to me that the preceding verse to that in Corinthians is that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It's interesting to me because when we're talking about weapons of our warfare, we're talking about going to war, going to battle, so that there is a, there is a, a, a battle to be won, a victory to be had or lost, that we're going to war, and then and then the next, next part of it, he's telling us that, that, uh, that we... Battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of this darkness, and that we're to bring every thought captive. Why? Because when you go less instead of more, when you get rid of the junk thoughts that aren't yours, that aren't God's, you get rid of the impurities of thought that's going on, the enemy stands no chance against you whatsoever. None. None. The only way he, he gains anything is through deception. The only way he gains anything is getting us to, to corrupt or to pollute or pervert the word that God has said from the beginning. And we have had years, years of doing this to ourselves or hearing it done. When people preach the word, when I preach the word, I guarantee you I've said some things that were wrong. Guarantee you. Because our understanding of God was not pure. I'm not sure it's pure now. But we're going there, right? We're going there. Why? Because we want that zero friction. We want zero friction. So, you know, the cities where even Jesus was marveled, marveled that he couldn't do many mighty miracles there because of their unbelief. You know, a lot of these places, he was going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. These were the people with the word of God. 
These were the people that had been, been doing religion all their lives, and somehow their perception and understanding of God had become so perverted that he couldn't do the good things that God wanted to do in their life. He couldn't do it. And so we, we wrestle with this, and, and, it's, and, I, and I understand that because if you remember, um, see if I can find the passage here. That, shut up. Uh, in Mark chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, another instance where, where the disciples were not able to cast the demon out. And the man, when Jesus shows up and the man's talking with him and saying, hey, they, they, couldn't, take, they couldn't take care of this. And, uh, and so he looked at Jesus and he made this statement. He said, if you can, heal him. Okay. If you can. Now, Jesus took a moment here. It wasn't like he was just like Johnny on the spot. He took a moment here and he said, if you can. If you can. Let's rethink the way you phrase that. My son said something the other day that would come across a little bit bossy at home. Uh, it was something to do with what we were going to watch or do on the TV. And he said, I, I was going to watch the rest of such and such and and I didn't respond. I was just doing my thing. He goes, did you hear me? So, I heard him. But I, I heard something I didn't like. And so, so we had a long discussion about that. And... Uh, and just the way he phrased it and the way it was said. So sometimes when, when we say something, the way we say it matters. What we say matters. What we believe matters. So when he said, if you can, as if to say, are you, are you serious here? I mean, really? And, uh, and he says, all things are possible to those that believe. Think about it a minute. If Jesus is absolute, absolutely confident in, in, in the power of God moving through, through him and, and being able to cure and fix any situation, that when someone says, if you can, to the point that you're going, I'm not even going to entertain that thought. I'm not even going to allow that thought to have a place in me. <laughs> you know, there's no if I can. There's only this. All things are possible to them that believe. There's only that. That other part does, doesn't exist. But I like the man's response because it's always intriguing. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, there's a reality check here, okay? Because he believed that Jesus could take care of something, but he is obviously dealing with another voice that was coming from somebody else that inside, inside of him. And so he was saying, God, help my unbelief here. Give me passage. Show me that, how, to, how to, to deal with this and to uh, receive of the promises of God. And, of course, Jesus ended up uh, casting the demon out of the young man and, 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 and uh, taking care of the situation. But let's go back and look at in Mark chapter 17. 
if our goal is to believe purely what God said, you know, uh, there was a situation that, huh? What, Matthew 17, I'm sorry. If our goal is to believe purely what God says, wouldn't it be nice if you could just have like a, you know, some sort of zap gun that for every thought that wasn't God's, so you could just go shoot it down and just be gone. You would have no other thought that would come into your mind. But then you would be programmed and you wouldn't have a will and a choice and and, and a love and appreciation and, and all these things that come along with that. So, so that doesn't work that way. Because I, I was talking with somebody that was wrestling with thought one time, and, and I told him, I said, it's just a thought. I mean, there's absolutely nobody else involved in this moment. It's just a thought that you're dealing with. But it's still there. doesn't go away. And we're going to deal with it. That's why he tells us to bring every thought captive, making obedient to Christ. That's why casting down vain imaginations. Get rough with it. Get rough with your thought life. Get serious with it. So, you know, we're not going to go there. We're not going to allow this. This isn't going to be a part of our, our defining of who God is, who, who God wants to be in the earth. We're going to let Him define who He is. How about this? Let's let Him define who we are. Let's let, let's let Him define how the ministry is supposed to work and how peop, who's supposed to be healed. Here's one for you. How many of y'all think that a heathen, don't raise your hands because I really don't want to know, uh, uh, you know, you come across some guy drunk, comes stumbling out of a bar and drunk, falls down, smacks his face, got big old gouges in his head, he needs a healing. I ain't praying for him. Why? Why? We have defined God's movement ourselves. We have, we have put in place what God's goodness is going to go to and who it's not going to go to. Who are we? I mean, these things that, that and, and I'll be honest with you, there's a person that I know that, that has been fighting a sickness and... and um, they're, uh, they're practicing a homosexual lifestyle. They profess Christ and all these things, and, and I struggled with it. But I tell you what, you know, when you decide that God's going to define things for himself, you're probably going to get an opportunity to see if you've really let him do that. And when you've really let him do it, whether you're, how you're going to respond in that situation uh, to that. So I'll tell you why that. Here we go. What qualifies a person to be healed? Because if suddenly we're putting qualifiers on it, what qualifies you? The person who deserves that that person be healed is the person who paid the price for the healing. If you bought a car, you deserve that car. Jesus deserves that everybody be is healed. Well, you know, 
It's not ours to decide. Not ours to, not ours to pollute or pervert or anything like that. So our challenge is to get rid of the impurities. Uh, and, and there's various verses that would talk about that. But back to Matthew 17. Um, in, the, in the last verse there, in verse 20 that we read, said, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, I know there's some italics in there that says that that, that part doesn't show up in every uh, manuscript that was found, but some of the earliest manuscripts wasn't there, but it's there now. And when we think about that, this does not come out but by prayer and fasting. I don't think Jesus is worried about the person or the demon that was in the person. I think he's worried about the impurities that is in our belief system that's going to keep us from being able to function in the kingdom of God the way he desires. So when he's saying this, he says, but this kind does not come out but by prayer and fasting. I think what he's pointing to us towards is the fact that in order to get our mindset right, to get our understanding of God right, to get all those impurities and unbeliefs taken care of, it takes falling before our, on our face before God and asking God, search me, O God, see if there be any wicked thing in me, create in me a clean spirit, renew in me a right heart. It takes us getting before God and saying, Lord, hide your word deep into my heart so that I won't sin against you, Lord God. Reveal yourself more and more and more to me. And you, the fasting part of that, you could take that to work as a ritual or you could take, to, take it to the bank that it's going to require a sacrifice to get to a place where we are pure in thought with God so that we can think the way God thinks, do what God does, be what God is in the earth. When, when, when we, if we want to get serious about our, our being able to zero friction, God move, God do whatever, because we know it's all there. But the problem is, is all this other stuff is there now. And with knowledge increasing in the earth, we got more and more that we have to separate and we have to, and we have to push away. There's, there's a proverb that says, in the abundance of knowledge, there is, there is suffering. There is pain. There's a price to be paid to get rid of thoughts. But Jesus uh, uh, told us to take heed what we listen to. But then we make it all about listening. All about listening to things secular and all this stuff. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm talking about getting down to purity. What does God say? What does, he, what does he want? What is he doing here? How does that measure up to the person and character of Jesus Christ? And going with that and letting God be God and us just follow him willingly and obediently and putting everything else aside. So through prayer and fasting, through, through submitting ourselves before God, yielding, surrendering. Everybody say surrender. Surrender. I've heard a guy say this this week. He said, you know, if you, if you want to start a revival, he said, you draw a circle around yourself and, and pray God start a revival right here in this circle. Okay? Revival comes with surrender, because in surrender, we discover how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to walk with God, and when we discover how we're supposed to walk with God, that's revival, because then suddenly his righteousness, his, his way of uh, who, who intended us to be from the beginning appears to self. James chapter 4 and 7 says, submit yourself therefore unto God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Get rid of the junk that you know is right there at hand. Just get rid of it. Cut it out. The Bible says if your eye offends you, cut it out. 
If it causes you to sin, cut it out. Because if your hand, I'm not asking them to actually cut their members out. You know that, right, Doc? So, all right. He was thinking all the business he was going to get. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Appreciate it, Brother Greg. But to get serious with it, get rid of the junk, that the things that so easily beset you, those things that are right at hand. Purify your, your hearts, you double-minded. Purify your hearts. Get down in here and say, God, what, what am I believing that I, should, that I shouldn't be believing? What is it about you? If this is the, There should be a contradiction that if, if Jesus is doing these things in the Scripture and we're not seeing these things happen in, in real life, there's a contradiction there somewhere and we need to search it out, get rid of the junk, go with God because he, he knows how to do it. Now, Jesus said, now we're going to go shift gears here just a little bit real quick. So the... I want you to remember third heaven dominion. We don't pray, and I shared this not too long ago, that we don't, we don't pray from first heaven experience and philosophy and man's understanding. We pray from third heaven uh, in, the, in, in Christ. Um, God said that as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways, so are my thoughts above your thoughts. So if you just even take that from a physical perspective, it's like we're down here, we can't see the forest for the trees, but God's up here, he can see everything clearly, and he knows exactly how to direct and knows exactly what to do. Just follow his lead. And so, so we want to see things clearly. We want him to reveal things to us, obviously, but we here's some scriptures I want you to see from third heaven. I'll just read them real quick. Third heaven dominion. We're battling sometimes the, the flesh, the world, and the demonic, and that all exists in the first and second heaven uh, as we see in Scripture. But, but third heaven dominion means this, that Ephesians 1.21 says, far above that Christ was seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion over every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He was seated and in Ephesians 2, 6 says, and he raised us up with him, seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Uh, and, and so when we're seated with him, he says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. These are real statements that Jesus made. He actually said these things. It's not a fictional book. It's actually took place. He said them, and he intends for us to take them and do them and live them out. The 70 experienced a little bit of that in Luke chapter 10 when they had cast out demons in the name of Christ, and, and uh, they were excited about it. And Jesus told them, he said, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Okay. Stomp your foot if you want to get it. He said, I've given you power over, or I've given you authority. I always like that distinction. I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. I think what God was trying to show Moses back there when he told him to speak to the rock is I'm getting ready to establish my authority in mankind. Instead, he wanted to exhibit power. Which would you rather have, authority or power? Because authority controls the power. Authority releases the power. 
authority speaks. All authority does. Speaks. Says. I've shared with you guys in the past, too, the difference between God's word and our word. God is not man that he could lie, so it's impossible for God to lie. So therefore, there's a distinction in, in, his, in his speech because his speech comes with the power and the authority present in it to perform what he says. So if he says something, it's going to become that something. But you and I, our words aren't quite that way. Our words, we can say something and we can hope for something and we can wish for something and sometimes it doesn't happen, right? You know? So, so the difference being then that if I want something to happen, maybe what I need to do is say what God's saying. If I say what God's saying, then maybe uh, I'll get myself out of the way and we can just see God perform and the greatness that he does. So when we say something, when we say what God says, it happens. So third world dominion. I was praying with uh, a lady that has suffered with the, from COVID and is on oxygen and she had heart attacks because of it and she had... 39% use of her of the lower part of her heart and these things, and there's this, this hope and this, this stuff. And, uh, and the words, and no fault to her, we, uh, I'm, I'm not faulting anybody. I've believed so many wrong things about God and his kingdom over the years. I ain't fault, I'm not faulting anybody. But she said, well, just pray that I get my miracle. Just pray that I get my miracle. And she was sincere. She was really sincere, and I said, well, let me share something with you. And so I began to share with her that God's word is absolute, like we just said, and what he says will perform. And I began to share with her that, uh, you know, that we are, if we say what he says, then it will happen, and that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ, that Christ is seated far above all principality, power, and rulers of the darkness of this world, that he's given us power over all the power of the, of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. We can share all that with her. And, uh, um, and so what we're not going to say is, if you can. We're going to begin to step into the fact that God says, by your st his stripes, you are healed. He has put it in your bank account. I told her, I said, I said, if you ask me for $1,000 and I put $1,000 in your bank account and you come back to me tomorrow and said, said I need $1,000, I'd say, I put $1,000 in your bank account. Go, go spend it, you know. And, uh, and, but if you come back the next day and say, I need $1,000, I would expect you to spend what I've given you to use what I've given you because I've already placed it there. So when we are going to spend what God has invested in the body of Christ, we do that through declaring. We do it through saying and speaking and speaking into situations. And that needs to have a point of contact. Sometimes it's yourself. Sometimes it's you. But usually there's a point of contact. There's somebody that you're impacting for the kingdom of God that you're praying, declaring things over. Because... You know, lose power out there is just like light in space. There is no light in space, right? Until it hits something, then there's light. 
then there's power. Same thing. It needs a point of contact. Needs to be needs to be aimed and specific so that when we declare what God declares in that person's life, that there's a point of contact and they receive it, and the power of God comes forth and heals them, because it's a part of His economy. It's the way He operates. So what we think matters, how we say it matters, how we pray it, it matters. I mean, I. I I guarantee you, if I went back and rewound the tape of a lot of the prayers that I prayed, I'd hear, I'd hear Jesus going, if you can. I, I would. He'd be like, where's the, where's the faith in here that I can work with? Oh, Rob, by the way, did, did you read that? All things are possible. Uh, yeah, I read that, but I heard someone say that it doesn't always happen that way, I, I heard someone say that you, you see what we wrestle with? Fully persuaded and convinced. Smith Wigglesworth, you guys might know who he is, and I admire his stand, but he was persuaded, and uh, he would not allow anything else, any other literature of any sort in his house at all. If you walked to this house to visit with him and you had a newspaper under your hand, you were leaving it outside. But you know what we do today? We devour it. We devour the voices that are out there. We let them in in, in like a floodgate and we're confused. Is it any wonder? No wonder. Stand with me if you will. Third world dominion, praying for others. I was thinking, God, what do you want to do? Uh, <laughs> as pastor said last week, I'm just going to keep referring to pastor's message. If you didn't get anything out of, out of this message today, go back and listen to last week's. It's really good. So, uh, but it's not about what it's not about what you're doing or what what who you are in Christ, but who God is in you. It's not about about what. Uh, what I want to do today, but what does God want to do? My wife, God love her, she inspires me all the time, convicts me, irritates me, does all those things, you know, so um, I just wish she was wrong more often, but, but you know, when, when we have the opportunity to, to reach out and touch people, opportunity to pray for people, opportunity to to minister to people. God's wanting to do something. She'll get up in the morning and say, God, who are you wanting to love on today? And a lot of you have gotten that. You know, not about God, I need this, God, I need that. That's what our cross is for when we have the cross. It's about, God, what do you want to do in people today? Your kingdom, God, I'm completely surrendered. And I want to believe purely and wholly every word you say without corruption, without mixing in the other voices, whether they be voices of the world and news and all this stuff coming in, whether they be voices of, of religious spirits that are out there that are trying to tell us how we ought to think and believe and behave. I think one of these days, Dwight Moody said this, the world is yet to see what God can do through a man who's completely consecrated to God. And he followed it by this. He said, 
but with his help, I will be that man. Good prayer. Good prayer. Father, I just thank you today, Lord God, that with you it's yes and amen. God, there is no shadow of turning in you, Lord God. You're not fickle. You didn't change your mind. You didn't change your word, Lord God. You still intend for your word to produce what you sent it forth to do. And Father, it upsets you, I know, when we miss it and, we, and we're confused and we're not walking in faith and not walking in confidence, Lord God, that, that you've called us to because, Lord, I just can imagine that you see, Lord God, Christ in us. You see Christ in us, the hope of glory. You want to see the glory. Your glory permeates your body. Permeate your people, Lord God. See them being the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Seeing them, Lord God, able to tread upon scorpions and snakes and all the power of the enemy. Father God, I thank you, Lord God, that, Lord, we need to consecrate ourselves. Lord, we humble ourselves before you today. We ask you, Lord, to create in us a clean heart, renew in us a right spirit change our thinking. Help us to sacrifice the, the belief system that has developed over years but has missed the mark. Help us to sacrifice our preferences, our ideas. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us, Holy Spirit, today. Speak and we will listen. Speak plainly in our situations, to our understandings. Reveal your wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And we'll cling to you, O oh God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I hope that if you need healing today, that you'll seek for it today. That you'll let some of us pray for you, declare the word of God over you and see you healed. Don't sit there and say you don't qualify because that doesn't matter. But I haven't been good this week. That doesn't matter. God wants to show you his goodness. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance which means that repentance means it's a change of mind. So what's God wanting to do? He's wanting to show you how good he is so that you change your understanding of who he is because he's a good God. But you're going to have to sacrifice your, your beliefs for his. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.